All right, good morning. Good morning. Good evening, everybody. Thanks for coming to Spirit of Grace Church online tonight on Facebook and on Zoom. We're glad that you're able to spend some time with us. We pray that uh, something you'll hear tonight will help you to grow in Him and to know Him a little bit better. Praise God. We want to uh, open up tonight with a word of prayer before we go forward, and, and we're going to just take another evening and maybe even next evening and go through some of the questions that were turned in and uh, looking forward to, to it. And we'll just, one person commented, well, they hope they did some more question and answer because I only got to like three questions last week. And uh, that's kind of what I figured would happen, but uh, we're in good shape. So let's just bow our heads and pray and ask the Lord to bless us in this time together. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We thank you. Uh, that we can gather together online, that we have this opportunity to be in your presence together. I pray that something that would be said, uh, a question that was asked and able to answer to the best of my ability will be able to help somebody, even if they did not ask the question themselves, help us to grow in you, help us to know you a little bit better by the end of this evening. We'll continue to lean on you, acknowledge you in all our ways, and trust in you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. It's good to see everybody that's hopping on on Facebook as well as on Zoom here. We're thankful that you're here tonight. And uh, like I said, I do want to just kind of continue uh, in the vein that we started last Wednesday night in answering some of the questions. Uh, some of the ways that I've answered, I'll answer some of these questions may be a little bit different than what you have heard. Um, I don't even claim to have all the answers to everything. I wish I did. Um, if I did, though, that would mean I'm in heaven, and, uh, and we'll we'll know it by and by. And down here we see through glass darkly. So I can't tell you that these answers are going to be exhaustive. And um, but to the best of my ability, I've done the research. I've done uh, the studies in time past, and so we want to share some of these with you. Um, these were turned in to us over the last couple of weeks. I want to address the uh, one first off that somebody uh, emailed us this week. Uh, they've been listening and been a part, and they had a question, and that was simply this. Um, when somebody passes away, uh, do they go to heaven, or do they just go to sleep until the rapture? What happens to us um, when we pass away? And that's always been an intriguing question. It's kind of an interesting question, is what happens when our bodies uh, finally give up their last breath on this side of eternity? And uh, it's, it's part of the reason why it's confusing is because we have taken words and given them a different meaning, if you will, to get to the place where we can understand. For instance... Uh, we like to say, well, somebody has passed from this life and now they're in heaven with the Lord. Well, that's not actually accurate within the confines of what Scripture tells us. What Scripture tells us is uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. And we have just always said, it's always been said, kind of the moniker that, well, isn't Christ in heaven? And so we're in the presence of Christ. Well, Yes and no. The, the heaven that we talk about, streets of gold and gates of pearl and all of that, is actually in reference in, in the book of Revelation to the city of New Jerusalem that the book of Revelation says will come down from out of heaven. And uh, we will uh, be able to be there and, and will rule and reign with him for eternity. So when somebody dies at this point in time, if you will, they're not going to that place if you will. They're going to what Jesus said is paradise, wherever that is. And the, 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 where we understand what that is, is, is comes from an Old Testament Hebrew concept of what hell was, or uh, Hades, or Sheol, S-H-E-O-L, uh, Hebrew words. Um, and in the Old Testament, it's, it's taught that there was two compartments, if you will, to hell. There was a place of torment and there was a place of comfort, which was in the Bible referred to as Abraham's bosom. And we see this, we have to remember that the Gospels 
were Old Testament books. They've just been allotted to a New Testament canon. And uh, because the New Testament really doesn't start until <clears throat> the New Covenant starts, which happens in Acts chapter 2. And so the Gospels are the Old Testament. There's passages in there where uh, the beggar at the gate and uh, Lazarus that's there uh, pleads on the other side of the gap. There's a gap that's in between that says, you know, just send somebody to, to, to help, help my brothers. And, and Jesus says, well, if they don't accept the way it is, they're not going to accept a sign. But the principle there is that there's a chasm between a place of torment and Abraham's bosom. And what I believe, and a lot of theologians have taught, is that in the New Testament, when the Bible says, when Jesus hung on the cross, and it says that he descended into the depths and he led captivity captive, uh, I believe what was taking place was he was going to hell, if you will, to Sheol, to Abraham's bosom, and taking all those that were captive in that place, and he was leading them to what Jesus referred to on the cross as paradise. If you remember, he was uh, talking to the one thief that was hanging there with him, and when the thief asked, remember me when you come into your kingdom, he said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. And where that is, is complete conjecture. There's nobody, it's just the presence of Christ. And so when we, when we pass away from this earth, I believe that we go to the presence of Christ. And then down the line, when the dead in Christ rise first, we'll receive our glorified bodies, we'll be uh, resurrected or raptured up to him, caught away to be with him forever. And then that will be part of the establishment of New Jerusalem and the heaven that we classify as heaven um, in that place. So while it may not be when somebody dies today, and this is the answer to the question, it may not be that they go directly to heaven that we think is heaven. They are in the presence of Christ. They are in the place of comfort. They are in the place where others have already gone. Uh, it, is a, it is a spiritual place because their natural body is still in the, in the earth. Uh, and, and so when the dead in Christ rise, the glorified body will be taken upon them and they will have a physical representation. So I hope that answers the, that question and they can ans ask me a little bit more depth on that. Uh, some of these tonight are, are very interesting uh, and, and may give you a, a different outlook on some things. Um, I want to talk for the next few minutes about dinosaurs. And uh, this is something that is oftentimes asked and debated. You know, is there such a thing really as dinosaurs and when did they live and what did they do? And, and I believe that dinosaurs really existed. If you go to the, Saint, or the Minnesota Science Museum, you may, it's hard to ignore the fact that there's all kinds of... Um, fossils and bones and structures that that are dinosaurs i do believe that they were on this world they're in this world on this earth and and walk but here's the problem and, and people say well you see there the bible's wrong because dinosaurs aren't mentioned in the bible well uh the problem with that argument is the concept of a dinosaur didn't even come into existence until 1841 and uh, they were called terrible lizards before that time. And, and so Dr. Richard Owen in 1841 came up with the word dinosauria, which is where we get the word dinosaur. So that's why it's not in the Bible. It wasn't even a word when the Bible was, was written. And, and so the, to the argument that says that, well, dinosaurs aren't even mentioned in the Bible, well, of course not. They weren't mentioned in any early literature either um, since it wasn't until the 1800s that the word dinosaur was even applied to these um, creatures. The Other than some of the size of some of the dinosaurs, the main uh, feature that really distinguishes them from other reptiles is the position of their limbs. And uh, dinosaurs seem to have a posture that was fully erect, similar to other mammals, um, instead of the sprawling position like a crocodile or an alligator. A dinosaur would have moved more like a mammal than um, with limbs that were supporting the body from beneath instead of waddling like a crocodile. And, you know, we get the picture of the one size of a dinosaur that it was huge, but 
scientists tell you that there's all different kinds of sizes from the small of even of a size of a chicken all the way up to you know the biggest one that you can imagine about eight tons or so now here's the thing that you have to remember as I before I as I go forward is nobody was there that is documenting there wasn't scientists weren't roaming the earth when dinosaurs were there to tell us how old they were taking what has become a computer model and trying to scientifically with a computer system and figure out the numbers and how long ago and then they have to put all of their data into their their theory and into what they think and and it's kind of you know even our temperatures as far as weather is concerned I, i'm not sure the exact date but i want to just say it was in the late 1800s that we started being able to track some of what the actual temperature in the world was i'm sure there was a way of doing it before then but at least documented um <clears throat> so when you hear a lot of well this is a record it's never been this hot or this cold before well we don't know that for sure we're just going by what our knowledge of the models that we have in it and the same thing happens with the dinosaurs they, they plug in <clears throat> what even some preconceived ideas of what the dinosaurs could be. <clears throat> and so, uh, you know, you read books, watch movies, read newspapers, magazines, all the things. It'll tell you that dinosaurs lived and roamed the earth millions and millions of years ago. And according to evolutionists, the dinosaurs ruled the, <clears throat> the earth for 140 million years, dying out about 65 million years or so ago. Um, but there's nothing that's been dug up. None of the fossils really tell us exactly what that is. They only uncover dead dinosaurs, their bones, actually. And their bones do not have labels attached to them saying, you know, made in the year such and so. <clears throat> and so we really don't have any concrete idea of how old they are. The idea of millions of years of evolutionist is the evolutionist theory of how things came into existence. And, uh, in fact, there's no proof in my mind uh, or in science, really, that the world and its layers are millions of years old. And there's not one scientist that has ever observed a dinosaur die. And we only find the bones. And uh, so there is another theory, if you will, or another belief. And that is what you would classify from a creationist science. Um, and these scientists have a different idea when they lived and they believe that they can solve some of the dinosaur questions with biblical data. And uh, Genesis teaches us the, <clears throat> the creation period of six days and then a seventh day of rest. And those were actual days in most theologians' uh, mindset. <clears throat> but here's what, what we don't actually know for certain. Number one, we don't know how long from the seventh day until the fall of Adam was. Uh, there's no real record of how long Adam and Eve were in the garden before they fell. Some theologians think it was very soon. Something that we do have an account that Adam lived for 930 years based on Genesis 5-5. The problem with that is we don't know if they were starting the age when they fell or they started from when God first breathed into Adam. And so we really don't know how long... Uh, between the seventh day of creation and the fall of man was uh, specifically. We, we understand, you know, in generalities, and if, you know, on the eighth day, Adam and Eve fell, and that's when time started, well, then we know that, you know, from the time of Adam's creation, it was 930 years minus six days um, from the time of his death from the, when he was first created. So, but we don't know that for sure. We only know that God created everything. We also don't know uh, how long it was even between the time that Adam was created and Eve was created. He just says that they were created in their image, and he realized that Adam by himself was not good. And uh, so I don't know that God said that ahead of time. And as he just finished up Adam and said, well, it's not good that he should be alone. I'm going to create somebody else. Or if Adam had been alive for a couple of weeks and realized that Adam wasn't any good on his own and needed to have some help, and so they put uh, Adam to sleep and then created Eve out of Adam. We don't know all of that, and there's no way to prove it one way or the other. And so if you add up all the dates and you accept that 
uh, say from the fall of Adam, you know, you're looking at 4,500 years to 5,000 years ago, not very long, not the millions that the evolutionists will say. Um, there's a couple of things that an evolutionist, another reason why I argue against it, is an evolutionist will say that, you know, from time to time, over millions of years, a dinosaur became from an atom all the way up to a dinosaur. Here's the problem with their argument is nobody has ever found any fossils of the in-between creation or the creature. Uh, in other words, every fossil that they have found has been 100% dinosaur. It hasn't been 50% dinosaur and 50% amoeba. It hasn't been, and you don't understand what I'm saying, the concept of evolution. There's no partial. It's either an all dinosaur or it's not a dinosaur, just like me as a human, it, you, you, there's, there's, you just don't see. We're, there's no half humans out there. It's either there or not there. There's no in-between. There's no transitional form. And so I believe that God created dinosaurs, that they dwelt on the earth. The other thing we have to remember is <clears throat> I believe that dinosaurs were there when Adam and Eve was there, all the way up in, even until Noah, uh, that the dinosaurs were there. But what we oftentimes don't realize is that the Garden of Eden did not encompass the entire earth. The Garden of Eden, uh, we don't know the exact dimensions, but we know kind of the general area of probably where Eden was at the time. Uh, at least theologians guess based off of the rivers coming in and coming out and some of the descriptive nature of the Garden of Eden. But the Garden of Eden wasn't there. It filled the whole earth. So in other words, you know, Adam and Eve intending the garden wasn't tending a garden that was as big as the world is today. Obviously, they would have never gotten around the world. Um, and, and so the the concept could be that Adam and Eve were in the garden. The dinosaurs could have been anywhere else in the world, all around the place. And it was all right there and they existed together. Um So let me just go a little bit further here with these dinosaurs. We find these dinosaur fossils. It's amazing to me because you're finding the full fossil. There was no death until the fall of Adam and Eve. Okay, And so then down through the, the generations there, we get to the place where God destroys the world with the flood, Noah and the ark. And uh, I believe that there were two of each dinosaur probably on the ark, at least in my uh, belief and opinion that was there. Um, and the reason why we find um, those fossils and that fully done is I believe that with the flood came mass burial without any, it was just totally overwhelmed. Um, and that's why we can find they, they think the dinosaurs were too big or there were too many of them to go on the ark. And, and uh, what happened to all the animals that didn't go on the ark, obviously, were drowned. And many would have been covered with tons of mud as the water and the seas. The Bible says it wasn't just rain that flooded. It, the, the waters of the deep came. So I can see them uh, being buried in mud. And, uh, and because of that quick burial, many of the animals would have been preserved as fossils. And since this happened, you would expect to find evidence of billions of dead things buried in rock layers, and that's exactly what we find. And uh, so then the question is, <clears throat> if there was dinosaurs after the flood, why didn't they, why are they extinct today? What, well, scientists, evolutionary scientists will tell you all kinds of things. Number one, they're starved to death, then they died from overeating. They were poisoned, they became blind from cataracts and couldn't pre-produce. Mammals ate their eggs. Other causes include volcanic dust, poisonous gases, comets, etc., etc., etc. The bottom line is this. Um, this an author that, that wrote a book called The New Look at the Dinosaurs, he said this. This is the important question. What caused all these extinctions at one particular point in time, approximately uh, whatever, uh, 65 million years ago. Dozens of reasons have been suggested, some serious, some sensible, others quite crazy, yet others merely as a joke. Every year people come up with them. Uh, but in both cases, of only some of these animals, for many of the land dwellers and many of the sea dwellers went on living quite happily into the following period, 
and no such explanation exists. But one such explanation does, and that is if you remove that evolutionary framework, you get rid of the millions of years, and you take the Bible seriously, the flood caused the mass extinction of most of the dinosaurs. And uh, just like all of the other um, animal species that have fallen extinct throughout the years, the dinosaurs could have happened as well. If you read the book of Job, he mentions uh, uh, some kind of an animal. It's called behemoth in the Bible, and it could have very well been as large as what we would have pictured um, the way it's described could have been picturing a dinosaur. Uh, the other thing that is said in ancient liter literature is dragons, and dragons would fit to a great extent the picture of dinosaurs. So I am of the belief that dinosaurs existed. I don't try to explain them away. I don't believe it was 65 million years ago. I believe that the flood is what caused the most of the mass extinction of these dinosaurs, and uh, when you come on the other side of the flood, you can see things like that uh, totally causing, um, just like any animal that we, uh, if you go talk to any um, proponents of animal uh, care today, there's all kinds of species that are on the you know, extinction list or that have become extinct, uh, and, and I believe the dinosaurs were as well. That will tie together with my next question just for a couple of minutes. The question was, and this is about the flood, why did people stop living so as long as they did after the flood as before the flood? And again, there's no documentary evidence. The Bible doesn't say, you know, they lived. It just, the years started changing. There was a dwindling of years of living. But one person in the research that I've done for this uh, several years ago really kind of made sense to me in, in so I'll share that with you tonight. And that is what I will call a genetic bottleneck. Uh, and there was two episodes in scripture that deal with this. The first one is the, is the flood. The second one is the Tower of Babel uh, in Genesis 11. The loss of pre-flood people that died in the flood uh, rendered the gene pool to six people, really. Uh, Shem, Ham, Japheth, and his wives. And uh, so there was intermarriage was permitted at that, that time. And so everything came down to that small amount of, of gene pool. And the scientists will tell you that the breakdown uh, of that, of the pre-flood was possibly, could have been, uh, a breakdown of the genes that were passed from one generation to another so that after the flood, the genes, it was a slow digression of the age amounts. And then there's other things that we just have never taken into or we never really think about, but diets change. Um, you take the way even Americans ate at the turn of the 19th century to what we eat now and all the preservatives and all of the things. Uh, it's It's part of the reason why uh, the lifespan today is not as it was even, uh, you know, 50 years ago. And uh, so just things of that nature. The other thing that happened was the Tower of Battle. And when the same thing happened is the, ge the, the genetics of humanity changed because God had to separate them. And the larger pool, if you will, became smaller pools of genes and there was a breakdown. The second thing is also just the concept of death. Uh, when Adam and Eve broke the law of God, uh, one of the penalties was death. And as much as we try to live longer and we try to have all kinds of, you know, youth movements of trying to become younger, we just don't. And, uh, we also have, through the years, uh, stress levels have changed. Not that they're worse or not that they're harder. They're just different. Um, I've told, I used to tell young people this when I was a youth pastor. I said, you're not dealing with anything in school that I didn't deal with. You're just dealing with it 100 miles an hour faster than I did. And uh, what was supposed to be in the last several years, the computer was supposed to make life easier 
and work less. In fact, when the first computer first came out, they thought we could go down to like 25-hour weeks. Well, that hasn't happened. And uh, the computers have made it even more difficult sometimes, more stressful. There is no uh, backup. There's no rest. And uh, so just all kinds of things. But the biggest reason that I believe that the time thing, the age changed after the flood was simply because you were coming all the way back down to one gene code and who knows what happened at the flood. How did the flood affect the way that crops were done and the way that every the, the nutrients and the minerals and all the things within the world, how that was affected by the mass flood that, that happened. And uh, so it did affect our ages for sure after that. I want to um, now shift a little bit. Um, somebody asked this. <laughs> I was, somebody said that Jesus had to go to plan B, that the crucifixion was not plan A. The crucifixion was plan B. That the first thing that, the first plan for Jesus was that he was going to come and he was he, he, he came to be the king of the Jews, and then when he got here, he realized that his people didn't want him to be the king of the Jews at the time. They didn't recognize him, didn't receive him, and so he went to plan B. I don't know where that philosophy came from. It's nowhere in Scripture. I will tell you this. Um, Jesus never walked this world to become the king of the Jews. That title was put on him by other people. He came, the Bible says to seek and to save that which was lost. He came as the means of restoration and reconciliation between God and man. If you read 1 Chronicles, um, 1 Corinthians 5, uh, 19, 20, and 21, I believe it is, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. His purpose of being here was not so that he could set up an earthly kingdom and become king of the Jews, he was here so that he could restore that which Adam and Eve had way back before the fall. And that is pure holy communion and being in the presence of God together and being able to understand what was going on between us and God. We can see things. His sole purpose of coming to this world was not to set up a earthly kingdom, but to set up a spiritual kingdom where you and I can dwell in, the Bible calls it heavenly places with Christ, where we can see things a little bit differently because we're not dwelling in the natural all the time, but we're operating in the kingdom of God. And it would, to relegate redemption to plan B, that somehow Jesus messed up plan A and people messed up plan A. I guess if you want to say that man... Adam messed up plan A, which was to never have a break in communion. That maybe could be an argument, but the the concept of Christ coming to this world and messing up and plan B was the cross. Uh, I don't think that that is viable. I believe that Jesus knew full well at some point in his life as a man, he understood that he was going to pay the ultimate sacrifice for one reason, and that reason was so that you and I would have the opportunity to accept um, a means or a door or a path to get back to pure communion with God. It's the reason why we can boldly go into the throne room of grace. The reason is because the price has been paid. That was Jesus' ultimate goal, was to create a way for us to come back. So it wasn't plan B. He never. Planned. In fact, the concept of the king of the Jews, um, the only reason why they said that is because the Jews wanted to overthrow Rome. And because of the concept of Saul, David, Solomon, and the other kings. If you remember in the Old Testament, though, God didn't even want to give them a king to begin with. So why would God want to become their king? And in, in conversation, God always says, you will be my people and I will be your God. Uh, that, he never says, I'm going to be the king. Um, now, there is reference to king of kings and lord of lords. That just means that eventually there's coming a day when he will take the role of the king and he will rule all kings. And um, 
but not to become the king of the Jews, but to become king of the world, really. And uh, so uh, that philosophy, that question that you, this person asked, the premise of that philosophy to me is is misplaced. It's not. It's not there. It's not even an opportunity uh, to have that. Um, so the next one that I want to mention is: Are there two separate baptisms? Are there two separate baptisms? Uh, in short, I will say yes. Uh, the Bible refers to. Well, let me even go further than that. There's more baptisms than even just two, I believe. If you read Hebrews chapter 6, uh, there's, there's several different baptisms that uh, we're not even totally aware of all of them because baptisms, the concept of baptism was strong in the culture. But if I'm reading this question right, they're talking about two different baptisms and the baptism of water and the baptism of the Spirit or the baptism uh, of water and the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the Bible does refer to both of them as baptisms. Uh, John the Baptist prophesied that there, I baptize you with water, but there cometh one that's more worthy than I, that he'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. I believe that there are two baptisms. I believe that when you are baptized in water, you are taking on the name of Jesus Christ. You are, the Bible says, for as many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And uh, I believe that when you take on his name, you are, you are, it's part of a conversion experience. Um, I also believe that water baptism is also part of the birth of the Spirit. Not the baptism of the Spirit, but the birth of the Spirit. I believe Jesus said it this way. He said, all flesh must pray. Uh, he said he was a man. He hungered. He was thirsty, he had to sleep, he had to rest, he had to do all these kinds of things. And my question was always, well, when did Jesus get born again? And somebody said, well, when he raised, when he raised from the grave on Easter. And, and my question was, well, well, that's when he was resurrected, but when was he born again? Our resurrection's coming someday. Uh, we mentioned it earlier tonight, when the dead in Christ rise, and we which shall alive and remain shall be caught up together in the air, so shall we ever be with the air. That'll be our resurrection. But... Our, our rebirth or our new birth experience happens uh, uh, in, in, in our world now, in our, in our season now. And I believe that Jesus was born again when he was baptized. The Bible says he was baptized, and, and for the purpose of that baptism, when he came up out of the water, the dove ascending, uh, descending upon him and stayed on him, and it was a sign to John the Baptist that this was... Uh, the Messiah. This was the one that they were looking for. So having said that, I believe that water baptism, when Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you must be born of the water and of the Spirit, I began to ask myself, well, what was the birth of the Spirit? I understood the birth of the water. I believe that when you're coming up out of the water, you're being birthed out of the water. You've buried your old man and you're being born anew. You're, you're, you're coming out of a watery grave a baptistry, if you will, whether it be a lake, a river, a cow trough, or, or an actual baptistry. Um, when you go down, it's the old man going down, it's a new man coming up. And uh, so I began to research or, or began to study what was the birth of the Spirit. And I, I came to this conclusion based a lot off of John chapter 1. If you read John chapter 1, verse number 12, the Bible says, uh, to, them gave, to them that believed gave he power to become the sons of God, not born of the will of man, nor of the will of flesh, nor of blood, but of God. And so when I realized that there was a baptism of water and there was a baptism of the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit was the baptism of the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2, we see that the sign of that is when they baptized, were baptized in the Holy Ghost, they spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And for a long time, I believe that that was the birth of the Spirit. The problem with that is that has some of the will of man in it. That has some of flesh in it. Because the Holy Ghost is the Spirit of the risen Christ that takes up residence in our heart. Okay, 
So either Christ was man or he wasn't. If he was, that means the spirit of the Holy Ghost that came at the baptism of the Holy Ghost was a spirit of divinity and not humanity, and thus Jesus was never really a man. Or if he was a man, then that spirit was from a man, which then could not be birthed, could not give us spirit birth, because spirit birth comes from God and not from the flesh, nor the will of man, nor of uh, the blood. And so Jesus had blood, he had a will as a man, he died on a cross, he resurrected, and that's the baptism of the Spirit, and I'll mention that in a second. So I believe that the birth of the Spirit happens when you come up out of the water because of Galatians chapter, or Romans chapter 6, I believe, for when you're baptized in him, the old man comes out and you become out in newness of life. For as many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, and then know you not that as many as has been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And then it says when we're resurrected out of the water or out of the baptism, we, we walk in newness of life. We have a new life. Well, if you're going to have a new life, the only new life that you can really have comes from the birth of the Spirit. And John 3 says you don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it goes. You just see the results of the wind. And I believe that that begins to happen then. So does that negate the baptism of the Holy Ghost or the necessity, if you will, of the Holy, the Holy Ghost? <clears throat> I believe that the baptism of the Holy Ghost is a necessity in, the, in the, the way that an education is necessary to understand some things. I believe that the Holy Ghost is an empowerment. I believe that he is a helper. He is a guide. John 14 uh, 26 calls him the paraclete he's the aid he's the one that comes uh, to help us and to speak to us he is uh, the baptism of the holy ghost gives us a fire and a spirit to help direct our paths to help make us better people to help not because of anything we do but because of the leading of the spirit so in, in that way i do believe that the baptism of the holy ghost is necessary too often, it's couched in terms of being necessary to get to heaven or necessary not to get to heaven. Uh, what do you have to do? Do you have to check off? Lit? I shared this with the church, and now I'm sharing it with whoever watches it on Facebook. I felt the Lord tell me several years ago to stop telling people how to get to heaven and start telling people how to get to Jesus, and Jesus will take care of them. I believe that a relationship with Jesus, does that mean I'm just ignoring everything that the scripture says? No, it means I'm in, it means I'm embracing all of scripture not just part of scripture i'm embracing the passages of scripture that says he that endures to the end shall be saved he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved he that confesseth with his mouth and and believes in his heart shall be saved he that he that is born of the water and of the spirit shall be saved he that salvation is a much bigger experience than what we have tried to in the church world all denominations all backgrounds have tried to put salvation into uh, a couple of different steps, and I believe that salvation is more of a relationship than it is a formula. I believe that a relationship with Jesus, if I'm truly wanting to have a relationship with Jesus, uh, he will lead and guide me into that which is true and that which is necessary. If I'm not interested in Jesus, I'm not going to worry about digging out the reason why. I'm going to look for a formula that I can cross off and say, I did this. Um, and, and so, I believe in two baptisms. I believe in the baptism of water, which is also part of the new birth experience, which is part of the birth of the Spirit. And I also believe in a baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. It happened to me on June 16, 1980. I was ten, just about 10 years old when, when the Lord baptized me with his Spirit for the first time. And uh, it doesn't make us better than other people. It just makes us have an advantage to listen to him. It empowers us to become witnesses. It empowers us to become better Christians. By his spirit, if we're led by his spirit, he will lead and guide us into all things. If we're, That's why it's so important to have his spirit. So it's something that you have to seek after, but you also have to remember the Bible calls the baptism of the Holy Ghost a gift. And so you can only receive gifts or you can only take a gift that is being handed to you. You can't twist somebody's arm to give you a gift you can't if my sons can come and they can talk and they can beg and they can try to uh try to figure out a way to negotiate into getting something 
but if I succumb to their begging, it no longer becomes a gift. They have worked their way to get it, and it's done on their behalf. Where if I just do it out of the goodness of my heart because I love them as my sons, I give them a gift, and they are then receiving of that gift totally outside of anything that they do. Well, that's the Holy Ghost. We can seek for it. We can ask God for it, but it's ultimately God's gift to us. And he, he, the Bible says it's for all of us. And, and so if you've never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I encourage you just to keep talking to him about it. Keep studying it. Keep asking him about it. Asking him, uh, not begging for it, but talking to God about it, just like we would talk to uh, our spouses or our friends. And I believe that if you're serious about it, uh, the Lord will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. I want to get to just one or two more questions um, one of the questions was, in my opinion, when did Satan rebel or fall? If that question is on a timeline, I have no idea. Um, there's no reference to it. I do know this is somewhere in the annals of God's history. Uh, he rebelled and said, I'm going to be like God. And when that happened, that was when he, uh, walked away from it. Um, There was one question here, um, why did, or does God, or was God okay with polygamy? Uh, my short answer to that is no. From creation, he created marriage to be one man, one woman, and never changed that. But there were some things that he allowed, not, not the word's not even allowed, he tolerated because of man's heart. In fact, when Jesus walked on the earth, he was totally against divorce, but he understood man's heart and the situations of man. So there are reasons for divorce in scripture. And uh, there's no doubt that some of you may have even dealt with some of this in your own life. Uh, God doesn't like divorce, but he understands the human nature. He understands humanity itself. And so his grace and mercy... Uh, always uh, comes forth in those kinds of situations. When it comes to polygamy, um, it's the one question I've always asked because Solomon has always been attributed to be the wisest man on earth, but he had 300 wives, or 700 wives, 300, just, I, that just boggles my mind. Uh, why did God allow it, or why were people, I'm not totally sure on all of that. Um, all, all I will say is this, when he created Adam and Eve, he said, man shall leave father and mother, and they too shall be one flesh. And if you read in the New Testament, some, especially for elders and overseers, the husband of one wife, and, um, and a lot of that has to do with uh, the relationship that God wants to have with his bride. You see, that's why we're all many members of one body. We're many members of the body of Christ. And so he's looking for one bride. He's not looking for three different brides or four different brides. He's looking for one bride, and that bride is the bride of Christ and the church, if you will. And, and so uh, in short answer, no, but it's something that he tolerated, especially in the Old Testament. And uh, we, we see it dissipate some in the New Testament. Um, and, and so... I wanted to answer that question. There's two more questions that I want to get to. And uh, I'm just going to touch on these because this is something we could speak for weeks and weeks on. And that is, somebody asked the question, uh, will Armageddon happen before or after the rapture? I'm going to actually connect a couple of questions. The other question was, what's the restrainer that will no longer be there for the tribulation and how will people be saved after the rapture? Um, I will tell you this without getting into the depths of it. Uh, I, I've stated a long time that I don't like 
going very deep into the concepts of the end time. And the reason is because the purpose of the end time is supposed to be to reveal Christ. Uh, in fact, the very first verse of the book of Revelation says the revelation of Jesus Christ. And But what ends up happening usually in most discussions, and maybe not always, but most of my experience has gone to not talking about Christ, but talking about events. And it's become an event-driven conversation based off of what will happen and what will not happen. And there's a couple of principles that I just want to share with you before I specifically answer those questions. I can probably give you a pretty good argument for three different times of the rapture. Um, Pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation. Uh, I can, there's enough research out there, enough interpretation out there that I could probably give you a pretty good argument for all three. And those, the answer to that dictates your answers to other things. I personally lean towards a pre-tribulation rapture. First of all, rapture, somebody will tell you, well, rapture is not even in the Bible. No, it's not in the Bible. We use it to describe the catching away of the saints as recorded in um, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15, if you will. Um, but there's a couple of things that I want to remind you when it comes to end-time prophecy. Um, Number one, I don't claim to be a guru about end-time prophecy. Uh, a lot of it gets very confusing to me to begin with, and, and so I'm not claiming to be a master of end-time prophecy. But there's a couple of things that I need you to remember. Number one, and, and I said it almost comically in our service a couple of weeks ago, is God's not an American. And unfortunately for the vast majority of us, because we are Americans, we see through the eyes of... America and what's happening here in America and we attribute what's happening in America and we try to fit what's happening here into pockets of scripture um, that that and so when things are not going well here and I've seen it for 50 I'm 50 years old almost so I've been seeing it almost that in my entire life where things will happen and that's the end time and then Jesus is coming and you better get ready and I remember as uh, in the 80s uh, I remember crawling under my desk during the nuclear bomb uh, drills that we had in, in our schools because Russia was going to attack and that was the end time and, and that was the fire that was going to come down from heaven. And well, that obviously didn't happen. But we've got this mindset that all of prophecy comes through the eyes of what's going on around us. And we also, so that's the first principle. God's not American, so prophecy is not based solely and completely off of what's happening in America. It's what's going on around the world. And there are others out there that research and study and follow all of the things that are happening in the world. Do I believe that we're living in a time that the rapture could take place? Absolutely. It could happen at any moment. Uh, there's signs everywhere, but I also caution you because there's been signs for a long time um, in different eras and different seasons of, of humanity where it, the signs are there. So I believe in pre-tribulation rapture for two two main reasons. Um, number one is I believe that there is to a great extent a certain way to mathematically figure out when everything comes if we're not raptured prior to what is known as the tribulation. Uh, if a peace pact comes into place, if there's certain things that are in Scripture that are going, and it kicks off seven years of tribulation, and if I'm still here when that happens, intellectually my mind says, well, I could probably figure out when Jesus is going to come back, and so I'll live six years, and then my seventh year I'll get ready for him to come. Jesus told us to occupy or to do business, to live for him until he comes, that no man knows the day nor the hour. We also have to understand that there is disagreement amongst end-time theologians, if you will, about what the second coming of the Lord is. I believe that the second coming of the Lord is is when Jesus comes 
and takes control of the world and kicks off the millennial. Some people will say the second coming of the Lord is the rapture. I don't believe that because the second coming is pretty clear that the Lord's feet will hit the ground uh, at the second coming. And for the rapture, I believe we're caught away, the Bible says. So <clears throat> in a very shallow explanation of that to these two questions, will Armageddon happen before or after the rapture? I believe Armageddon will happen after the rapture. Now, does that mean that we're not going to face things? I believe we're facing things already that have the spirit of Antichrist, that have the spirit of the end time. That have the, And so am I afraid of it? No. Am I fearful of what's going on? No. I am, if, if my heart is right, if your heart is right, it should get us to be excited to where even uh, John said, even so, Lord, come quickly. Um, the other reason why I forgot to mention uh, why I am a pre-tribulation believer more than a mid or a post-tribulation rapture believer is from John 4 on the church is not mentioned during most of the all of the stuff that's going on in the tribulation. Um, there again, somebody that is an end time guy or gal could turn around and explain to me, sit down with me after this message tonight and explain to me the mid-trib and post-trib and I'd say, yeah, it's a valid argument. <laughs> it's it, so it comes down to really a personal preference of what you're seeing and how this all plays out. This is for me personally. I tend to lean towards a pre-tribulation rapture, which lets me know that the Armageddon will come after. Well, why is the millennium? Why is there a thousand years? Um, I believe it's there's no real definition in Scripture of why Jesus wants to have it, other than. Uh, for that thousand years, his kingdom is set back up in this earth, ruled by uh, King David, if you will, and and operating um, with the freedom from sin. And uh, there's also a picture of people being saved through all of the millennial, as well as the tribulation. I'll address that in a second. But I believe that it's an opportunity for especially the Jewish nation to receive again what God originally intended by blessing Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob, obviously, whose name was changed to Israel. And the promises that God gave to him will be fulfilled during that millennial period. And uh, somebody said, the question was, well, what's the restrainer uh, that keeps from the tribulation happening right now? Well, to me, the restrainer is the church is still here. The body of Christ is still here. And when the trumpet sounds and the body of Christ is taken away, uh, the Antichrist and all of the end time stuff will have free reign to have do what it needs to do. And, and under the obviously under the guidance of God and his angels pouring out the vials and the bowls and the things of that nature. But uh, so then how are people saved in that season after the rapture? If there's no church, if there's nothing... Uh, it, I said the church is the restrainer. Grace is still going to be there because the world's not done after the rapture. It's into a different season. I believe God's grace will still be available to those that find it. I also believe that if you look at, and again, I'm, I'm fearful because you could get into the weeds and spend months and years, and there's a man that I know that's been doing this for 25 years and is still doing it. Um, teaching it. <laughs> but <clears throat> the concept of Daniel's 70th weeks, that there is a pause that's not seen by prophecy, that when the times of the Gentiles is open, over, then the, the next step will take place and go back to God working through Israel itself or the Jewish culture itself. And I believe that that could be part of it, that those that are saved in the tribulation period during the millennial are those that are being saved of the Jewish culture, number one. Number two, they could be being saved by grace after reading things. Um, there again, we're, we're, we're jumbling up the, the concept of what salvation is. Salvation when we say that mostly in the church world, we're saying heaven. 
heaven. How are people getting there? Okay, well, salvation comes in many different forms, and I believe that there are going to be those, even after the church is gone, that are going to be saved and are going to end up going to heaven, but because we're all going to end up going back to the judgment seat, and there's going to be some that are judged righteous and some that are not judged um, uh, that are that are judged wicked, and we'll have their they'll have to answer to God then as well. And so um, those that are after the rapture, there's still going to be the opportunity. It's not going to be as easy because there's not going to be a church. There's not going to be there, but there's still going to be an opportunity for for them to reach the Lord. I hope that that. I know that that hasn't answered that in total detail because I'm sure it probably started 15 other questions um, because that's a never-ending conversation when it comes to end-time things. And it sounds like a cop-out when I say this. It's really not a cop-out. But whether the rapture comes before the tribulation starts, in the middle of the tribulation, after the tribulation, or during the millennial, or whenever the rapture happens... I just want to be ready for the rapture. And the only way that I know to be ready for the rapture is to stay as close to Jesus as I can. And the whole concept of the book of Revelations is to reveal Jesus. And my heart is what Paul said in Philippians 3, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of sufferings. John said it this way in John 17, 3, oh, that I might know him, or I'm sorry, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And so it's all, to me, it's all about Jesus. And the less I think about the end times, the less I think about, well, is it going to be this? Is it going to be that? Is it going to be this? Uh, I believe that God is going to make things as clear as anything about what's happening to the church um, and, and what's going on with the church. I will tell you, and, and I'll, I'll close this part of it out with this there's been a lot of uproar over the last several months about coming against churches and, and and all of that that's going on and and how it's the end time and everything is this is this is that this is it you know the devil's starting to shut down through the government they're shutting down our free speech they're shutting down the church they're shutting down okay maybe but like i've said a couple of weeks ago we're just experiencing some things that have been going on in the world since day one. Um, what we're dealing with here in America, again, God's not American. He loves Americans because he loves people. But he's not, he's, he's not tied to American culture. He's not tied to an American political system. And, and so a lot of what we're dealing with, even we like to couch even our Bill of Rights in the that these were given to us by God. And I believe that they were. And I, and I believe that America is the nation that it is today. Uh, the greatness of it is because this church was founded on the belief that God loved humans. But God's not tied to the Constitution. Americans politically are tied to the Constitution. And that's why we're trying, and we're in a battle for our Constitution. But we're not in a battle for what God is, is doing. Uh, we, are battle, we are in a battle for the souls of men. And whether or not we are free to do what we're doing, there's countries all across the world that have dealt with underground churches, that have dealt with restrictions, that have dealt with all these things. So I am very cautious when people start jumping on the end time bandwagon because something's happening in America and even around the world because it's happened for so many different years. And so my response to that is, yeah, maybe it is, but isn't that a good thing? If this is the end time, isn't it exciting to think that if this is the end time, our next breath might be with him? Our next breath, we may see the loved ones that have gone on before. Our next breath, shouldn't, it should not cause fear in us to have everything that's going on in the world. If it is the end time, it should excite us because we're getting closer to actually going home. Here's why we usually get afraid. We usually get afraid because we have made this world our home. And the Bible says this world is not our home. We're not citizens of, we are foreigners in, a, in this country or in this world. Our citizenry is in a different world. And so it should excite us saying, I'm almost going home. It shouldn't cause fear in us. And so I encourage you not to get bogged down with the details 
of what Revelation is saying. What I would say about Revelation is let Jesus shine out because that was the intention of the author. Praise God. I hope that some of these answers helped you or at least piqued some of your uh, curiosity or answered some of your questions. I, I mean, I don't know how anointed you can get about dinosaurs, but uh, it's amazing how many times people have asked me that question about dinosaurs just out of curiosity and and some of the different things and uh so i appreciate your questions uh i'm sure there's a few more questions that are that are listed here that i haven't gotten to and i may do that uh for next wednesday night um we'll pre-record something and have it ready for you uh next wednesday because we'll be in delaware looking forward to seeing all of our delaware people and our family and uh so we're very, very thankful. I hope these questions or these answers have helped. Uh, let's just close out our Facebook time here just with a word of prayer. Lord, I love you and I praise you. I thank you, God, for your goodness and your mercy. I pray that something that was said here would, would pique an interest in your word. Lord God, that would cause somebody to research a little bit deeper to who you are. Lord, more than anything, I just want to know you. I want to be close to you. I want to know how you think, how you act how you see, how you love, how you experience. I want all of that for myself and for those that are hearing tonight. I pray, Lord God, that the mighty move of your spirit would just flood our souls and wash over us. We'll be careful to give you praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Facebook family. We'll talk to you next time.